0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've not forgotten us. We'll just confess that we have forgotten you on occasion this week. We have lived occasionally with a functional atheism as though it was all on us and it wasn't about you. But right now, we just wanna thank you that you haven't forgotten us. Father, for those who have walked through the flood this week and discovered that you were there with them. For those who've walked through the fire and discovered that you did not allow them to be burned. We thank you, God, that you have been with us this week and that you are faithful forever. And so we hold on to that. And we say with the psalmist today, Lord, for those of us who are in the desert right now, Lord, we we thirst for you. We long for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And we wait before you, Lord. And we believe you're working in our waiting and you are sanctifying us, and Lord, you are watching over us sovereign, and so we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you that it's not all dependent on us, that you really are working in our lives, and today, Lord, we just want to say with the psalmist, your love is better than life. Your love is better than life, and so help us, I pray today, Lord, just to celebrate your goodness to us Remind us today God that you have done great things for us and so we are filled with joy in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I was uh, saying that verse over and over again as we were walking through the jungle in Africa. You know Psalm 126 verse 3 uh, our theme for this year the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. I was teaching that verse to Dale, my new friend, as we walked through the jungle. By the way, if you're going to go and walk in the jungle, do not watch Jurassic World before you go. This is a bad plan. Um, just uh, just kind of makes things kind of crazy. But um, a great time. And, and, you know, I woke up sometime this week. I've been home long enough now that I'm actually awake and alert And I looked at Melanie, I said, did we get a dog? You know, because we were talking about it and yeah, there's a dog in our house. And I did that while I was jet lagged and I don't think you should make big decisions while you're jet lagged. But this, you know, the point of that story as I left you last week was um, just like we walked into the SPCA and we wanted every dog there. God wants all of us. So how do we get that word out? How do we let people know that God loves them with an undying love? The Apostle Paul was the master at this. He teaches us something about it. In, uh, in, it's in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter five. I just want to show you this today as we share God's word together, 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 11 to 21. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we're going to spend a couple weeks here in August thinking about how we relate to people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. So what is the right way for Christians to relate to people who, who say we're not Christians? And um, I think what the scripture teaches us will help us greatly in this regard. So we'll start today with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, where Paul says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it's also plain to to your conscience, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he, and he died for all that, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul suffered a great deal for the sake of his commitment to Christ and he tells some about that at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. It's interesting because Holly Atkinson who preached at uh, Charles C. Wilkins' funeral yesterday chose the first 10 verses of this chapter to talk about how we uh, put off the old body someday and we put on the new body that is transformed and Paul says, so since we know we're going to stand before God, um, we want to please him in everything we do. We're all going to stand before God and we're going to give an answer, he says in verse 10. And then Paul begins to talk about his ministry and he really saw and defined his ministry. Paul had such great clarity about why he was in the world. If you ever wonder, why am I here? Why has God put me on this earth? Paul had The perfect answer for that, he said, I am here as a minister of reconciliation. And since God reconciled me to himself through the death of his son, I want to tell everybody I'm like an ambassador for the kingdom of God. My citizenship, he says in Philippians 3.20, my citizenship is in heaven and God has left me on this earth as an ambassador so that I can say to people, I can literally beg people, be reconciled to God be reconciled to God. And what Paul understood, we must understand that if you and I realize the price that God paid, allowing his son who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. If we just think about that every day, if we just Preach the gospel to ourselves, as Matt Chandler likes to say. If we preach the gospel to ourselves enough, we will remember that God reconciled us. And when he gave us this miracle of reconciliation and drew us into relationship with himself, with it, he also gave us a message to speak and a ministry to fulfill. We are all in ministry. We just fund it in different ways. We're all in ministry and you say, what ministry are we in? You know, we talked about spiritual gifts last week and I hope you can discover your gift and begin to use it. But this is what I know. Whatever your gift is, it fits well into God's ministry of reconciliation because God's great purpose for everybody we know is to bring them all. He wants them all to bring them all into relationship with himself. And if you'll receive it this morning, you and I are part of that plan So first in these verses, I would just observe that that the ministry of reconciliation calls us to examine our own motives. And there were those who were questioning why Paul did what he did. And there were super apostles. They called themselves super apostles there in in Corinth. And they thought that they had it all figured out. And they sort of looked down on on Paul. And Paul said, look, I don't want to commend myself to you again. In verse 9, he says, I just want to please the Lord. If I can just please the Lord, my life will be fulfilled and I'm going to answer to him in verse 10. I will, we all will answer to him. So he said, I live with a holy reverence. Verse 11, the the fear of the Lord is there with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord, you his saints. One of the passages we're memorizing in fighter verses right now, we're memorizing Psalm 34. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. So if we can learn to live with reverence for God, that's a good thing, with just a, a holy reverence for God. But his highest motive is there in verse 14 when he says, the love of Christ compels us. And by the way, Paul's not talking about his love for Christ. I mean, that's part of it to be sure, but he's talking about Christ's love for him. Here in his love, John writes, not that we first love God, but that he first loved us and gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. C.S. Lewis um, a safer subject for us to talk about than our love for God is his love for us. We, we can always be sure of that. That's, that's rock solid. God loves us. He loves us every day of our lives with an unconditional, undying love. And if we can sort of Take that in and just um, drink deeply from that river and understand what it means to be loved by God. Well, that sort of changes the way we look at the world. It changes our perspective on our work and why we work and why we do what we do. So we start doing everything we do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he has done everything for us. So he says in verse 15, we no longer live for ourselves. If we really believe that he died for us, then life is not about us and we don't live for ourselves. And I love a story I read this week about an oil company that was down in South America and they were looking for the right representative, a salesman down there, and they just needed to find the right person. They couldn't find the right person. Somebody said to him, you're looking for somebody who understands the language and the culture. Look, the perfect person is that missionary over there. Hire him hire that missionary. He can sell a lot of oil. And so they approached this man and they met with him and they talked to him and they made him an offer and he turned down their offer. And so they raised the offer and he turned that down and they raised it again and he turned it down again. And finally, the president of the company called him in and said, look, is, is, is the salary not big enough? He said, the salary is fine. The job is not big enough because you only want me to sell oil. And my purpose in proclaiming the gospel is a bigger job than that. Look, you can sell oil and proclaim the gospel. Just be sure, whatever else you're doing, you're proclaiming the gospel and you see the greatness of that job. And so it becomes not about um, self-aggrandizement. It comes not about reputation. We ran into this, can you believe And we ran into this in Zambia. We were talking with some of the pastors, the theology students there. And they said, so we've got this new wave of pastors and they're forming these mega churches and they drive really crazy cars and live in really crazy houses and they don't even open their own doors anymore. They've got people who open the door for them. And I thought, wow, of all the things we export from the West, I hope we don't export that kind of Christianity that says religion is a means of gain. And I was just sort of listening to that and seeing that. And the apostle Paul says, look, it's not about me. It's not about my reputation. My conscience is clear. I'm going to answer to God. And here's what I know. He says, the love of Christ leaves me no other choice. I've got to make my whole life about the ministry of reconciling other people to God. Now, why did Paul feel that way? Why was that motive so strong for him? Because as he examined his motive, he realized he had experienced the miracle of reconciliation. Just remember who Paul was before he became a Christian. So he was a persecutor of Christians and suddenly he is being persecuted because he is a Christian. In fact, They don't even believe that he's really a convert. If you remember in the book of Acts, when he becomes a Christian and he starts preaching and he gets to Jerusalem because he gets run out of Damascus on on a rail and he gets to Jerusalem and the Christians there won't have anything to do with him because they think it's a setup. They think that it's a trap of some kind. And he is so transformed that he is not exactly recognizable as the same person anymore. And he's been changed. And he describes that in verse 17. He says, if any person is in Christ, that's Paul's way of saying being a Christian. If anyone is in Christ, that person, a new creation has started. It's not just Paul's transformation, but it's the beginning of a larger transformation. Revelation chapter 21, verse five, he who sits on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. And I wonder... In this time of year, as we talked about buying new clothes for kids to go to school, and if you remember how good that was to get new clothes to go to school, you know how important this ministry is. But can you imagine you yourself becoming new? So that like Paul, you used to be this way, but now you're completely different. I remember a speaker in chapel when I was a freshman in college, and she said, you know, I'm not who I ought to be. Most of us in this room could say that, right? But she said, I thank God I'm not who I used to be. And I wonder if we could say that. Is there any evidence of transformation? Paul says in Romans 12, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. God is making us new. So God is changing us from the inside out and we can be made new. And I think this is remarkably good news. In fact, this news is so good, it needs to be told because Louisa Fletcher Tarkenton said for a lot of us, these words, how I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again don't you wish there were a place like that where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door never to be put on again Paul says that wonderful place is called in Christ new creation Old has passed away. We were singing this morning, even when the enemy works for evil. Can I tell you the kind of evil the enemy wants to work? He wants you to think that you are who you used to be so that you have to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. But in Christ, you are being made new. And so the the law of the spirit of life, he says, there's therefore now no condemnation. Just soak that up. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Why? Because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We're not only free from the penalty of our sin, thank God for that, but the gospel's better sometimes than we even want it to be. Because we're set free from the power of our sin. This is the transformation that God is working in us. This is the miracle of reconciliation. And here's what I want to say to you about reconciliation. Reconciliation is not that God gets reconciled to us. There's a lot of that theology going around right now. So God's gonna just be okay with, with any sin in my life. He's just gonna be fine with that because he just knows You know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls and we just are who we are. That's not what he's talking about. He doesn't say God gets reconciled to my sinfulness. He says God sent his only son to die for my sinfulness so that I could be transformed and reconciled to God. Now, God came to me so that I could come to him. He was made sin so that I could be made righteous. So there's no sense in me saying to God, so God, just be okay with my unrighteousness because he's not okay with that. He's so not okay with that that he sent his son to die for that so that I would no longer live for myself, but live for him. That's the transformation that we have to offer to the world. And, And Jesus Christ is the only one who can do that. And so we need to speak that message again and again. So he talks about the message of reconciliation. And if we really understand what God did for us in Christ, we're not going to have trouble telling other people about this. I read this week about Charlie Peace. Charlie Peace is... um, this famous burglar and murderer. And on February the 25th of 1879, he was put to death on the gallows in, in England. But before he died, they had a service for that. And there was an Anglican priest walking beside him from the Church of England saying to him, so if you go to hell, if you go to hell, what, what that's like is you will be separated from God forever without any relief from death. And it just, the, the priest routinely read this to the people who were going to be hanged. But Charlie Peace stopped on the gallows and said, what did you say? And the priest said it again. And he looked at the priest and said, do you believe that? And the priest thought about it for a moment and said, well, yes, I, I do believe that. And Charlie Peace said, well, I don't think I believe that. But if I did believe that, I'd get on my hands and knees and crawl all over this country, even if it were paved with pieces of broken glass, if I could rescue one person from what you just told me, being separated from God forever. We're indicted sometimes by those who who don't even admit that they believe in God, like like Penn Gillette, you know, Teller and Penn in, in uh, Las Vegas. They have a, a magic act, I suppose, and and Penn Teller uh, was just, um, Penn Jillette was just saying, you know, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I'd like to put the word evangelize there because proselytize sounds like wrong motives, wrong methods, wrong message. But if we could use the word evangelize, which means to tell good news, just sort of substitute. He says, look, here's the thing. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and you're not telling people, this is the conclusion it comes to. How much would you have to hate people not to tell them? the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, if, if, if you, you would have to hate them a great deal. In fact, he said, let me just put it this way. If I knew a truck was going to run over you, but you didn't believe a truck was going to run over you and I couldn't even convince you. At some point, he says, I'm going to tackle you. Can you imagine being tackled by Penn Jillette? He said, I would tackle you to keep you from getting run over by the truck. So he says, I don't respect you. If you really believe what you say you believe, I don't respect you if you don't tell this good news, if you don't share it with other people. One of my friends and mentors through the years was a guy named Milton Cunningham who pastored here in the city. I think he was some of your pastor at some point. And he he told a story years ago about getting on a plane to Dallas and he was sitting in the middle seat and the aisle seat was open and there was a little girl sitting in the window seat and she was a down syndrome, beautiful little girl. And she had lots of activities to keep her busy for that hour. And he sits down beside her and, and he says hi and she says hi and he's sitting there. He's thinking, okay, I got this empty seat here. You know what you're thinking. You think, Maybe we can sort of spread out, create a little bit of space here. And he's sitting there beside her and she uh, looks over at him and she says, did you brush your teeth today? And he said, yes, I did brush my teeth today. Yes. And she said, that's good. Everybody should brush their teeth. And he said, yes, I think that's right. And she looked at him and she was working on something. She looked up and she said, do you smoke? And he said, no, I don't smoke. She said, good, because smoking will make you dead. (laughs) And he said, okay, well, yeah, that's okay. That's good. And then she was working on something and she looked up at him and she said, do you love Jesus? And he said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. She said, good, everybody should love Jesus. Everybody should love Jesus. And so they're just about to close the door and, you know, the plane's about to take off and the one last guy comes running in and you know what, he sits right there beside Milton. So they're three in a row here and, uh, the, you know, the plane's starting to taxi down the runway and the little girl elbows Milton and says, ask him if he brushed his teeth. <laughs> Milton's like, no, no, I'm not going to, she goes, ask him, ask him. And he, did uh, my little friend by the window here wants to know if you brushed your your teeth today and the man says he he sees the little girl he smiles he says yeah I brushed mine she said good everybody should brush their teeth and so you know Milton's sitting there and she says ask him if he smokes he's like this is a non-smoking flight I'm not going to ask him that you know and ask him ask him my little friend wants to know whether or not you smoke no I don't smoke good because smoking will make you dead she said and so, you know, he's sitting there and you know what's coming, right? So, so they're, they're t- the plane's just about to take off. And she says to him, uh, ask him if he loves Jesus. And Milton thinks, you know, that's too personal. He's just asked the man if he brushed his teeth, but it's too personal a question to ask him. And he goes, no, I'm not, I'm not going to ask And he goes, ask him, ask him. And so he says, um, my little friend wants to know, I want do, do you, do you love Jesus? And the man says, no, I don't love Jesus. My life is a mess right now. My work is stressful, my marriage is falling apart, and I would love to be a person of faith, but I don't even know. I don't even know how to do that. And Milton, the pastor of Westbury Baptist Church, said, "Well, let me let me talk with you about that." And at the urging of a little girl, the story of reconciliation was told. Can I just say to you this morning, I'm not asking you to ask anybody if they brush their teeth. I'm not asking you to ask anybody if they smoke. I'm just asking you to so love Jesus that you're not afraid to ask other people if they love Jesus as well. It's a story that needs to be asked. And I want to urge you to do that in view of the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. Look, God was in Christ and he was reconciling the world to himself and he wants us all. But some people don't know that. And they don't know his love yet. And God chooses to use us to tell other people. And if our eyes are open this week, he will give us a chance. Ask him, ask him for a chance to tell somebody about his grace and his goodness this week and watch what God does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for loving us with an undying love and for giving us the privilege of being made new And inviting others into relationship with you. Thank you for the courage of a little girl on an airplane. Lord, whatever it takes this week to get our attention. To be aware of the need of people to be reconciled to you. God, please get our undivided attention on this subject. Because people's lives are depending upon it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.